Well, here we go with another wedding uh, marriage sermon series. And uh, I know people may be wondering, man, why another one on marriage? Mark, you seem to talk about that almost every year, every other year we have a marriage series. And uh, this one, though, is, is really interesting because this was birthed out of some things, and you'll hear them during the course of the message. I, I never want to seem uh, something birthed out of a frustration, but uh, a little bit of the Holy Spirit has to use frustration in us sometimes in this area. And so we'll, we'll be addressing this. But, but I tell you what, Pam and I have, uh, we understand this, that uh, when you start talking about marriage in a day when marriage is not understood, and uh, when it's confusing and people are so militaristic about their view on certain things about marriage, when you come with a biblical picture of marriage, it reminds me of when I was a kid. And uh, I was one of those kids that would get into things a lot. And I would come upon an ant bed. And I would see that ant bed. And the first thing I would do is find a stick to stick right in the middle of that ant bed. And sticking it in the middle of that ant bed, you're disturbing the whole ecosystem of those ants. They're all over that stick. They're coming after you. They're just angry at everything that's there. Well, when you start talking about biblical marriage, you better get ready. You're sticking a stick in an ant bed. And uh, that's okay because we know what the Lord's word is and his standard, and that's what we are called to elevate. And so Pam and I realize that. We realize that you put a target on yourselves when you, when you elevate any of God's truths, and, and so we step into that uh, realizing that. But... Um, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just being c- completely transparent here. I am not a good counselor. Um, and I know some of you will echo that. You say, yeah, Mark, I agree. You're not a good counselor. Uh, no, here's the deal. Um, counsel, yeah, I can give wise counsel. I can give biblical counsel and this kind of stuff. But I'm not good at ongoing counseling. You see, some people love counseling. They, they love to come and they love to bear what their struggle is. And especially in marriage, come, you share your struggle. This is where we're struggling. This is what, what we're going through and this kind of stuff. Well, I am more like a physician at that point. I see your struggle. I write out a prescription and I give it to you and you either take the prescription or you don't. Don't come back to me with the same problem because I've given you the prescription, okay? Now, I, I, I'm not against counseling, obviously. I believe it's vital. Pam and I will meet with, with couples or with individuals and uh, we will quickly refer because we know there are people with giftings in those areas who can walk deeper than, than we have. But I'm, I'm a prescription writer. And so I will just write you a prescription and say, this is it. And part of what this, this series will be is a little bit of a prescription. Are we going we to take it or are we not going to take it? And I know when it comes to uh, sermon series on marriage, people, people come and there's different expectations. You will have some that will come and say, wow, you're going to finally fix my spouse. You come in with that kind of mindset. Uh, Or somebody's going to come in and and they're going to think, okay, maybe he'll give us some exercises and some things we can do at home to to fix uh, the struggles that we're having. Or somebody's going to come in here and they're going to say, our marriage stinks. Uh, we're, we've, we've gone dry. Uh, it's not near what it used to be. Maybe there's a loophole to get out of this thing. And that's where we are as well. And then there's others that think, hey, we don't need anything. We're, we're great. And I, that's fantastic as well. And then <clears throat> there's either those that are single or singular again. 
And they're thinking, oh, brother, do we have to exist going through this, Mark, for the next month? You're going you're gonna to talk to us about marriage. It's not a part of who we are. But listen, we're going to be dealing with this from Jesus' perspective. And from everything I read in Scripture, Jesus never got married. So he, he is right there. And so we're going to be hearing from him on this thing. Now, I said that part of this has been birthed out of frustration within my spirit, which has come, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that it's estimated that within the last five years, there have been 18,000, excuse me, there's been 18,000 books written by Christian authors on marriage. And marriage is struggling greatly. It tells me that another book and counseling are not going to fix this, that there's something deeper. And I see people that go to counsel and go to counsel and go to counsel, and yet, do I need to grab the handheld? You don't know? Okay, see, there's a gremlin doesn't want us talking about marriage here. You ever heard those super spiritual people that say, oh, man, he's attacking the sound system. I believe that we got a problem in the sound system. We just need to go go from there. Uh, uh, but uh, we, we, will, we will head on. But, but you see where some of the frustration has been birthed that we've talked about marriage and talked about marriage and talked about marriage, and yet something is going awry and not happening. Well, there's a couple of things I want to give you up front before, before we open the Word of God. And we will be in Matthew chapter 19 here in just a moment. But I want you to hear some promises from me. Number one, I am not here to make you feel guilty. Guilt and shame is not from God. Conviction is, but guilt and shame is not. Guilt and shame is from the enemy, and we're not going there. I'm not here to put you on any kind of guilt trip. Number two is, is that I am not here to condemn if any of you have had a failed marriage. That's, divorce is not going to be the theme of what we're going on this, and I am not here to bring any condemnation in that area. We are moving forward, okay? And so I'm not here to, to deal with that. But here's a couple of things that I want to ask of you. One is this, when Pam and I got married 39 years ago, we chose to not let divorce be a a part of our vocabulary. And I know many of you made that decision as well. It's just a word that would not be used in in your vocabulary in your marriage. Murder, yes, but divorce, never. Um, But since then, there's another word that we've chosen to not be a part. to not be a part of our vocabulary. And that word is impossible. So I'm going to ask that impossible be removed from your dictionary of your brain at least for the next month. And some of you are, are, are saying, uh, well, we didn't have a good example, so it's impossible for us to have the marriage we need to have. Or my spouse is not a believer, so it's impossible for us to have a godly marriage. Or we, we've made a mess of it, and we're just coexisting in the house right now. It's impossible for us to have a godly marriage. No, we're going to remove impossible. All things are possible with the Lord. So we're going to remove that word from there. The next thing I'm asking of you is this, is that if you are currently considering a divorce or in the process of getting a divorce, I am going to ask you to, to, to delay for the next month. Um, If you're signing final papers tomorrow, I I just want you to prayerfully say for the next month, I'm going to hold off for any of this. And let's at least hear at least what the scriptures say in this area. And then one more thing that I'm asking of you 
is that if you are married, I'm going to ask that you take time each day for the next month, other than meals, to have at least a brief time of prayer together, okay? Just a brief time of prayer together. I'm not asking for 30 minutes. I'm just asking that you pull away, other than just at your mealtime, to pray, okay? And if you're single or single again, I'm asking also that you spend time, other than mealtime, just praying unto the, to the God of all creation, God, uh, I want you to fulfill me in life, okay? And uh, we're going to be looking at this. Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be uh, camping out. There, there's, there's certain things that I've noticed that when people come and speak to Pam and I or, or to anybody, to a counselor, you will ask them about their struggles and you'll hear things like this, okay? They don't make me happy anymore. They don't make me happy. Or things like, uh, they're just so immature and childish. This usually comes from the wife. They're so immature and childish. But what's really funny is, is if you press it a little bit and say, what really made you fall in love with them? They'll say, well, it was their free spirit and their childishness, you know, to a certain degree. Like they're going to change. Um, or one of them will say, they're a control freak. You know, they're a control freak, something like this. Or, or this one. We don't love each other anymore. Or they've changed, and because they changed, our marriage has changed. But listen, I, I understand what is being said here. But I want us to look at what Jesus said. And maybe some of these things will get a different view of the way they are. So in Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, let's look at this a little bit and see what God has for us. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, and in Matthew chapter 18, he says some incredible things, but he says when he had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Let's stop right there just a moment. It says he healed them there. The Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word that is used for he healed them is the same word that we get the word therapy or therapist from. In other words, what happens is, is that this therapist, this therapy comes, which is there to meet with somebody because they have a struggle to help them walk through it and to bring help and healing to that life. And many people, you know, counselors call a therapist. What we're doing during the course of this month is we're going to Jesus as the ultimate therapist. And it says that, that uh, verse 3, it says some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce or to put away his wife for any and every reason? The Pharisees come. Now, let me give you a little bit of history here so this will help make sense to you. In the Jewish religion, there were uh, multiple different factions of the Jewish religion. One was called the Pharisees. One was called the Sadducees. You've heard of them. There was another one called the Essenes. And there were other groups, factions of the Jewish religion that came about. The Pharisee group, uh, there were two schools of thought that came out of this religious uh, sect called the Pharisees. One was called the School of Shammai. The School of Shammai was a very strict group. They believed uh, you
You can't put away your wife for any reason, no divorce. Man, they were very strict on, on the law in that area. But there was another group called the School of Hillel, which these Pharisees that confronted Jesus were out of. And the School of Hillel was pretty uh, loose and liberal when it came to divorce and these kind of things. In fact, they had become so loose. And a, and a woman, women, I apologize to you, but in this particular time, women were not elevated very high, almost considered as objects so much of the time. And if a man wanted to put away his wife or divorce his wife, he could do so for any reason. He was unhappy with her. She burned, she burned the toast. Man, you're gone. You didn't, you didn't do, you didn't fill the car up with gas. You're gone. I mean, there was any reason he could, he could put the wife aside uh, and that was came from the school of Hillel and so there that particular group of the Pharisees are coming to uh, confront and test Jesus now the testing here is to prove him out is he going to fall on one side of the fence or is he going to fall on the other side of a fence and because if they do that then what you're doing is you're splitting the people and he's coming to give a new authoritative message to bring everybody together but we're going to try to to test him to put him on one side of the fence or the other to prove him out is what they're doing and so that is what the pharisees have come and here's the question that they ask is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason the word divorce means to put away to put her away and so is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason here's the deal Here's what they're asking, and it's the wrong question. The question they're asking is, can I get a divorce? The right question coming to the king of the universe, the right question would have been, is there any way to restore a crumbling marriage? You see the difference? Coming to ask, can I get out of this, is looking for the loophole. Is there any way, is there any hope to restore what is crumbling is looking for healing? And they ask the wrong question instead of the right question. Now I'm going to put certain points on the screen just for you to kind of think about. And here's the first point that I want to put on the screen. God is in the designing business but he is also in the restoration and reconciliation business. I'll explain what I mean by that. But God is in the design. He's the creator. But he is also in the restoration and reconciliation business. And so when they come to say, can I get out of this? Instead of saying, Lord, is there any hope of restoring? They're asking the wrong question instead of the right question. And so we have to ask ourselves today, are we seeking for godly marriages or have we settled for mediocrity? Have we settled just for we're coexisting in the home? Or are we, are we saying, God, we want a godly marriage? In other words, are we seeking to get out of something? Or are we seeking for God to elevate something within our lives? And so Jesus answers them. In verse 4, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, 
What God has joined together, let no one separate. What Jesus does on them is he goes pre-Moses. See, they wanted to go back to the law because Moses had actually allowed a certificate of divorce. But they, Jesus comes along and they're saying, okay, is it lawful that I can divorce for any reason? So what does Jesus do? Jesus goes pre-Moses all the way back to creation. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and see the way that God intended for it to be done in the first place. Now, this is what I call factory reset. You know what a factory reset is? Let me, let me give you a definition of factory reset if, you, if you're not familiar with it. A factory reset, also known as a master reset, is a software restore of an electronic device to its original system state by erasing all the information stored on the device in an attempt to restore the device to its original manufacturer's settings. I believe today we need a factory reset on marriage. Because for culture and what's happening is every day there's viruses put into marriages by our culture. And we need to go back to the factory reset about the way the manufacturer, God, created it in the first place. And that is what Jesus is saying. Let's go back to the original. Let's go back to the very beginning and see what is there. And so he goes back to the beginning. And so what does the beginning say? Is that God, the creator, made them, made mankind, both male and female. So God created mankind, male and female. Now, I don't know. I haven't taken a census since, uh, obviously, the back last census. So when we take the next census, it's going to be interesting to click on gender and to see how many choices there are. But Jesus goes back pre-Moses to the creator. He created mankind, male and female. That's what it says. I will trust him. He's the manufacturer. He's the creator. And that's what he does. But why did he create? Why did he create mankind in the first place? I love what Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says. And this is the King James Version. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created, created by God for His great pleasure. Why did God create man, male and female? For His pleasure. So that what He created gives pleasure back to him that's why you were created that's why i was created that's why we were created male and female to come together for family is so that our pleasure we are created for his great pleasure and his glory but what has happened is is that our identity was meant to be found in our creator and what happened is, is we're trying to find our identity in everything else. Our identity, not in gender, not in our race, not in our nationality, not in our education, not in our job, not in our worldly success or whatever. Our identity is to be found in our creator alone. We are accepted. 
We are secure. We are significant because of our Creator. You're never going to find it in anything else other than your Creator. Your identity is not determined by your gender. Your identity is not determined by your nationality or your race or your success. Hear this. Your identity is not determined by a past success or failure. But our acceptance is in the one who created us. And our security is in the one who created us. Our significance is in the one who created us. But yet, aren't we looking for it in everything else? Everything. And only the right relationship with our Creator will ever fulfill us. Here's your second point. If you are looking for your spouse or anything else to fulfill you, you will come up empty every time. If you're looking for your spouse or anything else to fulfill you, you will come up empty every time. Only the Creator, our true Father, can fulfill us and bring a full life to us. You hear that? So when somebody says, or a wife comes and says, He doesn't make me happy anymore. When was His role ever to make you happy? Or some man says, well, she just doesn't fulfill me in that area anymore. When was that her role? God is the one who created us to fulfill us. And you will only find fulfillment when your identity is in him alone. If not, you're going to come up empty every time. Every time. So, where does this take us? We look at what Jesus said that uh, he, go, he, he talks about this from the beginning. What, what is he alluding to? Why, why can we accept this and what Jesus is saying? Well, I want to give you some thoughts. And I want these to sink in to you as you think about them. Thought number one about what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees is this. Jesus is reestablishing the truth that created man, male and female, are for his pleasure and glory. Jesus is reestablishing this truth that God is the one who created, and in that we were created for his pleasure and glory. I want you to grab that because we're trying to figure out why we were created. And until we understand that we were created for his good pleasure, we will never walk out life in pleasure because we're going to seek pleasure instead of seeking him. Many of us struggle with what's called cat and dog theology. You know, you that have a dog, you know, you feed the dog, you care for the dog. He's thinking, you feed me, you care for me, you groom me, you give me a place to live. You must be God. But you know, if you have a cat, the cat, you feed me, you care for me, you give me, a, you groom me, you give me a place to live. I must be God. <laughs> See, we struggle with cat and dog theology. We think that we are the created special ones. And we are because he loves us immensely. But our meaning and our identity come from him. The world does not revolve around you or your kids. It revolves around the God of all creation. And he loves you. 
He accepts you. Your security and significance is in Him alone. And until we grab that, our marriages will continue to butt heads all the time. Because of the next thought that I'll give you, and the next thought is this, the fall of Adam in the garden messed up mankind's identity. You know what happened. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were commanded to uh, not participate in the tree, uh, uh, the forbidden fruit. And what happened is, is I know that Eve was deceived by the serpent. She took the fruit. She ate of it. She gave to her husband, Adam. He ate of it. And then there was, uh, there was this distance that came between them and the Creator. And it says that God is walking in the garden, cool of the day. And he says, where are you, Adam and Eve? And it's like, God, do you not know where they're at, really? That's not what he's asking. He says, why is there a change in our relationship all of a sudden? You know you're to be close to me. Why is this separation happened? Where are you? And then, of course, we know that what happened is, is because of the fall, you ready for this? The blame game started. Adam, why did this happen? Well, that woman that you gave me, see, he's blaming God for this whole thing. He's blaming the woman, but that you gave me. And so Eve says, that serpent, the blame game started, and we've been playing it out ever since. When we seek our identity in anything other than Christ alone, and our creator, then what's going to happen is we're going to start blaming everybody else when we're not happy, when we're going through a struggle. We're going to blame everybody else. It began right with the fall. Whenever man started looking for other things to fulfill him, and it happened real quick, remember? Cain and Abel. The two sons of Adam and Eve, what did they do right right after this? Well, Cain, I'm, I'm not getting the pat on the back that, like Abel's getting because of his sacrifice, so I'm going to kill him, right? When we look to anything other than the true source of life to fulfill us, we come up short and disappointed and live less than lives, always blaming others. So Jesus is reestablishing the truth that God created everything for his pleasure and glory. Secondly, the fall of Adam caused a mess up of identity. Third thought is this. Jesus came to restore us back to right relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus came. Somebody will say, well, it's just to take my sin away. Yeah, but what was your sin? It was separation from the Father. So what Jesus came to do at the cross is what he is reconnecting us to the Father. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And then Jesus said this in John 14.6. You ready? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say no one goes to heaven but through me. Yeah, we believe that heaven is for the child of God. But he says no one comes to the Father. But through me, no one comes to restoration with their creator except through Jesus. And that's why he came. So if you think, oh, I'm just going to heaven someday, who do you think's in heaven? Who do you think you're going to see? 
Who do you think you're going to be worshiping constantly? It's your Father, your Heavenly Father. And Jesus came to restore that relationship. So, thus, God created man in such a way for his pleasure and glory. The fall in the garden, sin, broke that relationship. Jesus came to restore that relationship. So if you consider yourself here a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you have within you the possible to overcome the impossible. Isn't this good? Okay. I know some of you feel threatened. Holy Spirit does that, man. But here's the fourth thought. Marriage was God's idea. It is a holy covenant between a male and a female and God that exists to give him pleasure and glory. Marriage was God's idea. It is the holy covenant between a male and a female and God that exists to give him pleasure and glory. Isn't that that a great way to see marriage? It's not about two separate individuals always butting heads. I love my wife to death, but I cannot love her properly without Christ because I'm going to get selfish. I'm hard, man. That's why the covenant is not between her and me alone. It's between a holy God and us. It's a threesome. You see, today our culture is into contracts and not covenants. And contracts are broken all the time. It's a covenant. It's something that God has established and it brings him pleasure and glory. That's why the enemy is out to mar that as much as he can. Attacking marriages. Because marriage brings glory to God. I just want to ask you some questions and we'll wrap up. If you are married, all right, well, this is just life in general. Are you a whiner or are you becoming fine wine? Why do we whine? Oh, my rights have been stepped on. I have, you know, this kind of thing. Man, look at Jesus. He surrendered all of his rights. Should we expect it any different as his followers? He said the world will hate us. But are we becoming fine wine for him or are we whiners? Here's another question. Would you say your identity is something you find in your creator or in the things of earth? See, I have to ask myself these same questions, but I get to wrestle with them all week long. See, I'm a people pleaser by nature. It's part of the fallen nature, I believe. I want to please people. I I want an attaboy. You know, that's the kind of thing I want. And if I'm not getting those, then I'll get pouty and I, I get, oh, woe is me. Instead of going to my creator and saying, man, I'm secure in you. I'm accepted by you. I'm significant because you of you. Man, you love me, Father. You just, man. I still mess up sometimes, but I'm a, I'm a child of God that's just messed up. I'm not a rotten, dirty scoundrel that just lives a messed up life. You see the difference? Child of God, man. Mark, that sounds arrogant. It's just truthful. 
It's just truthful. Here's the third question. Think about this. Have you let the current worldviews detract you from seeing marriage God's way? I sometimes think we're fighting the wrong battle. We're trying to put down other things instead of just elevating God's way. I think if the church would elevate God's way, how can the world compete with that? Here's a tough challenge to you. If you feel like you have put undue pressure on your spouse to fulfill you and to make you happy and to fill all your senses and this kind of stuff, and you're not seeking it from your Creator, listen, I know sometimes things get hard. I know sometimes we can be jerks towards one another. And we're always jerks to those that we're closest to in proximity. But would you be willing to talk about that and say, maybe ask forgiveness? I've been seeking for you to do in me what only God can do. Let me wrap up with this. Just as I was praying through the message this week, I, I had this visual. And I thought, about, I thought about marriage, doing it God's way. And I thought about oak trees. Back here on the back of our property, am I pointing the right direction? It's right there. Back here, uh, over here in the back of our property where the school's about to start construction, that uh, there are some oak trees back there, 600 years old. You go back there and see those oak trees, they're gnarly, they're, they've got... But let me tell you, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And the things they've seen in 600 years, the things they've weathered in 600 years, the storms they've gone through, and they're just stately and they're, they're out there. In our, in our backyard currently, we have these two stick oak trees. I mean, they're two things. They're, we, they literally were a stick when we first got them, and we, we've now planted them, and they, they've got the wire to hold them straight because, man, the winds will blow them, and, and they're going through all this. But, you know, they're not too stately. They're, they're just kind of sticks in our backyard back there. And I thought of the difference between the sticks in our backyard and these 600-year-old oak trees that are magnificent, and they're beautiful. You know, they've gone through the storms. These little oaks are going to go through those same storms. But it's like not being married too long. You're going to go through storms. Marriage is hard. You can tweet that. Those little oak trees. But let me tell you, they're getting stronger every day as they go through the winds. And one day, by the grace of God, they will be 600-year-old oaks who bring much glory and pleasure to him. You see what I'm saying? You stick it out. Is there hard times? You bet. You bet. Are there times that it just gets unreal? Yeah, but listen, we're not going there right now. We're going to the God who takes care, who does the impossible, and we get our identity from him. I want you just to bow with me, if you would.